Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comment section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. I am making an all-out push to back the campaign of the one who is most capable of leading us, both now and into the future. I am campaigning for the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is king, both in 2020 and forever. <laughs> now, here at New Horizons, we are exploring this idea of what it means when Jesus Christ is truly king of our lives and when his kingdom has first place in our lives. Not only the king of spiritual things, but when he is also king of everyday issues in our lives as well. Now, this is important. This is an important connection for us to make that Jesus is king in spiritual matters, but also the rest of our lives as well, because the more we're convinced that Jesus is a king over the entirety of life, the more likely we are to look to him for the issues that matter most, both for us in our families and in the communities in which we live. And when we believe Jesus only to be a spiritual king, our tendency is more likely to lean to political systems, to government structures of this world, to meet the needs that people have. When in reality, Jesus wants to be king in all areas of life. And he has real answers for the things that matter most. He has real answers for the issues that affect our spiritual lives, but also our relationships the issues that affect our workplaces, the issues that affect our health, immigration, and when it comes to how do we thrive economically. Now, I know he's not on a ballot. I know you won't be able to check the box for him, but you and I will have opportunities every day of our life to make decisions to have Jesus Christ as king and to live in his kingdom and to make sure that it's first place and so that's what this series of messages is really about. In my previous message, I looked to this idea, this platform that Jesus has as king. And unlike any other before him or any other that will come after him, Jesus's platform is one that calls us to live in simplicity and humility in relationship to those around us. It is looking for those who will crown him as king and live within the kingdom of God to recognize that we are not called to be overbearing lords over other people, but we are to come alongside and underneath and support people as they seek to find God's plans and purposes in their lives. Jesus is not offering his economic policy, better law and order, better foreign policy, better social policy. Instead, he is coming to you to bring you a revolution of your heart that changes you from the inside out. So that when you think about how do I address all of these other issues in life, that I start from a place of not trying to figure out how they can benefit me, but how I can give myself away just as Jesus did to affect change in the world around me. Up to this point, I've pointed out how Jesus is not looking to take control of human forms of government. Instead, he's quite comfortable in his kingdom that he has brought the kingdom of heaven and has brought it to earth. And his throne, he is seated at the right hand of the 
right hand of the Father, and he rules a theocratic kingdom where no one else challenges his authority because he alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is offering life and true liberty for any who would bow their knee and give him allegiance and follow him in his kingdom. But I want to be clear on this. I want to make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is not disengaged. He is not pulled back from the affairs of this world, the things that matter most to you and to me in this life. Quite the opposite. Jesus is very involved and has given himself in ways that nobody else has. In John chapter 3, we're told very clearly that Jesus is not ambivalent about this world and its issues. John 3, a, a passage that's well known to so many people, John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now let there be no confusion as we just read that scripture this, what I'm suggesting is that when I say Jesus is not interested in being king of these governments, of world governments, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's sitting in heaven and just waiting until he can overthrow everything in a future age. No, Jesus very much is involved in what's happening. In fact, that's the very reason that he came from heaven to earth, to invite people to follow him and to join him in his kingdom. In this kingdom that puts love as its motivation ahead of dominance and ahead of condemnation. It's the very thing that John 3, 16 and 17 is saying, that God so loved the world that Jesus came not to condemn, but to bring life and to really change the world from the inside out. In the world's politic, you do get a lot of condemnation. You get finger pointing, you get accusations, you get blaming that's a lot of what we've heard just over this past year. Actually, it seems like it never stops. The news cycles and the speeches are all about pointing fingers and blaming and condemning. Not in Jesus' kingdom. Not in the kingdom that comes from heaven and to this earth. He came not to condemn, but that through the, him the world might have life. That's the type of world that he calls us to. In Christ's kingdom, you get a love so great that it would bring God to the point where he would sacrifice his own son to redeem it. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. You don't get a God who sits in heaven and points his finger and blames and accuses and condemns, but you have a God who so loves you, who so loves this world, that he says, I love it so much, I'm giving my son to redeem it, not to condemn it. This is the kingdom that Jesus invites us to be a part of. Not to join the voices of condemnation, but to join the voices of freedom. So what does it look like when Jesus' kingdom is at work bringing redemption? And what's our part in it? If we accept Christ as king and we step into his kingdom, what is our part in that? Well, that's what we're going to look at in this message when Christ is king and redemption is at work. So let's pray as we go to the scriptures. Lord, we thank you 
that you did not come to condemn us or the world around us, but that you came to save us, to redeem us, and to make us whole again. And so we thank you for not remaining on your throne in heaven, but coming in the form of a man, walking our soil, walking our roads, laying down your life and showing us a different way, the way of the kingdom, the way of love that offers a path to redemption instead of a path of condemnation. I thank you for this time as we open up the word and I pray you'd open our eyes and our heart to what it is that we're called to as we're a part of this. What does it mean for us to partner with you in this walk of redeeming the earth and redeeming humankind? I thank you for this time. Let your word come alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, King Jesus is delivering a kingdom that has its roots in heaven and not on earth. So the outcome, again, is not overthrowing, but subverting the principalities and powers of this earth. Remember, Jesus doesn't want to take over a corrupt system or a broken system. He wants to introduce a whole and healing system that comes from heaven to earth. We see this in the first pages of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, and that's where we're going to begin and, and look in this message. At one point, I used to think of Genesis 1 as just kind of a neat story about creation and really just a way of counting days and understanding how things came to us. But really, there's so much more for us to understand about God's rule and reign on this earth and his invitation to us to partner with him in that. The more I read it, the more I understand that God is not just communicating beautiful poetry. He's giving us a pattern, pattern for what he does, how he does it, and how we can join with him in it. It brings this idea of how God takes darkness and how he takes lifelessness and how he takes chaos. And into the midst of that, he shapes it, he illuminates it. And he brings order and gives life to it. Then after he's done all of the hard work of this shaping and ordering and bringing light, he then creates us, humanity. And he invites us then to work with him, partner with him, to oversee it and to rule it. This is his gift to us, but it's also the responsibility that he gives to us. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is an invitation that God extends to us for rulership. You notice that everything has already been done. The earth has been shaped. The, the void has been filled. The darkness has been matched to the light that has been brought to it. God fills the earth with water. He fills the earth with the lands. He has the flying creatures. He has the creatures that are walking on land, the fish in the sea. I mean, it's all there. And then God creates mankind and he invites us into this act of rulership or dominion. God gives humanity dominion over the fish, the birds, every living thing that moves on the earth, every seed-bearing plant, trees with seeds in it for fruit, everything that has breath of life, every green plant for food. What a gift. What a gift when you just simply step outside and you look at all of creation and you just think this is God's gift to you and I. The birds, the created animals, livestock. Every time you step out and you look to the hills and you see trees, and you see creation being shaped and formed out of it, growing up out of it, this is God's gift to you and I. This is the source for God's provision for us, the land that produces life out of it. I mean, think about how miraculous this is. You take a seed and you put it in soil and it requires some oil, some water and attending to, and out of that soil comes life, comes a tree. All of the sudden, after a little while, you get a tomato, put another seed in the ground and a tree comes up. And a little while later, a palisade peach shows up on it, on the, on the limb. Put another seed in the ground and you get a zucchini. But not just you, you get a zucchini, your neighbor gets a zucchini, their neighbor gets a zucchini, everybody gets a zucchini when you put those in the ground. This is life coming out of the ground. It's the design, it's the way God created it. Animals that roam, fish that swim, birds in the air, the whole creative order is put into the hands of humanity so that we can benefit from it, we can be blessed by it, be sustained through it, but also so that we can rule in it. The idea is that creation itself multiplies and is fruitful. Fish reproduce more fish. Plants reproduce more plants. It's this incredible thing that God has done with this multiplication, this reproduction that is invested in creation, in the seeds of creation itself. And what we're called to do is tend to it. We benefit from it, but we're also called to tend to it. We watch it and care over it, and it provides for us, and we're responsible to make sure that it continues to reproduce. Now, when we look at the creative order in this first story, it's, it's much easier. It just says stuff grew, that they looked over it, 
but it just grew. What we find is that when the rebellion comes, God creates this order out of chaos, but through our defiance and our determination to live independently of God, we introduce brokenness. So instead of being image bearers, all of a sudden we want to bear our own image. We want things on our terms. And when we do that, we introduce weed, we introduce death, we introduce things not functioning the way that God had intended. And so when we introduce brokenness, instead of there being fruitful multiplication, here's what happens instead. We sow into this world and its system consumption and corruption instead of multiplication where God had it set up beautifully for us, when it just miraculously reproduced and everything was provided for us, we, through our brokenness, introduced this idea where all of a sudden we stop tending to it and we just start consuming it and not caring about it. We introduced this idea that things are disposable and we no longer have use for it and so we don't care for it, we just set it aside. It's consumed and then it's gone. Isn't this just the broken picture of the world in which we live? One thing after another gets consumed, broken, and set aside. It's of no, no longer use to us or to our culture. The more we're immersed in the brokenness of this world, the more we cease delighting in what God has made, and the more we just consume it. The less that we look out and we just see the mystery and the beauty of what God has done, and the more it just becomes a consumable for which we take possession of instead of tending to it. The creation gets reduced down from being fruitful and multiplying God's work into being a consumer-focused and diminishing work of God's provision to us. The more we break it down and instead of life-giving, it just becomes something that we consume for our purposes. Now, there's two non-biblical responses to this, to creation. So when we have this brokenness, this dynamic, there's two real main responses that we see out of this. One is some would just say, well, since we're in charge of it, we can do what we want with it. We have no accountability. I would call this the scorched earth approach. People don't look at creation and view that they have to tend to it, that they're in charge of it and they're supposed to have dominion, but also caregiving for it. They just view it through this lens of I'm a consumer of it and if it serves my purposes, that's all I'll do with it, but I don't have to tend to it. The other one is this idea that since it's valuable and it provides for us, it's elevated to this point of idolatry. This has been common throughout all of history that different cultures have actually worshipped creation, have worshipped the earth instead of tending to it and having dominion over it. Neither of these approaches is the approach that God calls us to. Neither of these approaches addresses this idea of rulership and dominion like God calls us to. Now, if you're wondering how this ties into politics and Jesus' rule and reign, I'm going to make the connection in a moment, but we need to see this foundational piece of where does this whole idea of rule and reign come from? Well, it begins in creation. And the brokenness comes because we introduce dominion in a broken way, that we're consumers but not caretakers. Or we elevate that which we're supposed to take care of into an idolatrous point of view. Neither of these, again, address a biblical approach that says we're to think about ruling upon the earth. 
In fact, while both of these approaches, a scorched earth or an idolatrous view, they may seem on polar opposites, they're actually in the same mindset. They both lead to worshiping that which was created rather than worshiping the creator himself, God. One worships mankind because he or she has dominion and it worships that role of dominion and elevates mankind to God status. The other reduces mankind, but still elevates creation to this point where man is reduced to subservient to the creation. Romans 1, 18 to 25 talks about what happens when this type of brokenness enters into our world. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, in both of these cases that I mentioned before, dominion without regard to responsibility or idolatry of the creation itself, it brings it to a common point of which Paul was just talking about here in Romans chapter 1. Whether that's fruitfulness and multiplying and disregarding that part or idolatry of the created things as the gift that they are to us instead of identifying that God is the creator of all, both of them fall short because they end up turning attention from our relationship to God and it gives an unbalanced focus on created things. It either worships mankind or it worships that which mankind was supposed to have dominion over. In other words, let me phrase it in this one way. Maybe this encapsulates it the best. The brokenness of mankind is that we fail to be true image bearers of God because we're either thinking too much or too little of ourselves in relationship to who God is. Remember, that's a critical piece of what happened in Genesis when God said, let us make mankind, male and female, let us make mankind in our image. Male and female, he created them. And what happens when we think too much of ourselves is we put ourselves as the owners of it instead of the caretakers of creation. When we think too little of ourselves, we become idolaters of the creation instead of ser servient of God, uh, servants of God who oversee what he wants to accomplish through creation. This brokenness, again, is that we fail to be true image bearers. Too much and we're not accountable to God for the rule. 
We think we don't have to be fruitful. We think that the earth can serve us without accountability. Too little, we turn, off our, turn our affections over to the creation itself when we begin to worship it instead of the one who created it. So let me take this step forward now and make this connection to the kingdom of God. How does this affect the kingdom of God and how do we relate this to the world around us? Well, as we think about Jesus as king, especially in this season of hyper-focused political discussion, the connection that we make to us being image bearers and responsible for being in charge of the world around us, the important question we're supposed to ask relates to us being multipliers and not diminishers. Are you and I multiplying the image of God within ourselves? Are we freeing people up to see themselves in light of who God is? Or have we reduced it down to serving the issues and serving the creation itself? In order to look at this through the right perspective, my first lens of engagement should be asking, how can I multiply and bear fruit instead of diminish or consume? Now, this isn't just about ecology. (laughs) This just isn't about the earth and how do we take care of the earth. It's much broader than this. This is asking the question socially, economically, in terms of environment, in terms of safety issues. How can my encouragement in the world around me, how can my participation bear fruit and multiply fruitfulness instead of diminishing and consuming? If it doesn't, then that should clue me in that I should hesitate to be supportive of anything that is consumes God's goodness and his provision for me instead of multiplies it and bears fruit. Have this mindset when you think about the things that you're engaging in in the world around you, whether that's with your vote, whether that's with your volunteering within your community. Does this lead me to bear fruit and multiply Or does this cause me to be more of a consumer and lack responsibility to God for that which he has blessed in my life? If it's dominion without accountability, or if it's consumption without reproduction, it's not a kingdom design. So that's my first lens. How can I multiply? How can I be fruitful through this engagement in the culture around me? Secondly, my second lens should be asking, how do I help people live as image bearers instead of captive to creation. Now, this is the final one that we wrap up with. When we think about the life of Jesus, he didn't come to condemn and to bring people captive. He came to set people free. And so when you think about your engagement, whether that's politically, whether that's serving in the community, what your role is, the lens you should be looking at is, is this helping bear the image of God in this individual. Anything that reduces people down according to their gender, according to their race or ethnicity, anything that reduces somebody down to less than in any way, that's something that you would want to step back from and say that doesn't promote the image of God in that individual or in those people that diminishes them to be less than what they could be. And so we should always be looking to that. We think about the issue of Black Lives Matter. Listen, you and I as followers of Jesus, there should be absolutely no hesitation to be able to say absolutely Black Lives Matter. They matter to God, so they should matter to me. 
Brown skin lives matter. Asian lives matter. Native American lives matter. Do white lives matter? Absolutely. But here's the thing is that when we begin to say, well, I'm not going to say black lives matter because that means other lives don't matter. Absolutely not. That's, that's, not what it be, does, that's not what that's saying. What it's saying is that I can identify the diversity that exists within the world and without diminishing one group or another, I can lift them up and say, that person is beautiful because they're in the image of God. And so Christians, more than any other group, should just laugh in the face and condemn and find it easy just to say, yes, racism exists because it has existed throughout all of culture. People have tried to lift up their race, their ethnicity, their group above the other. And so by in, in the, our walk with Christ, we never look to diminish, but we always, instead of lifting one up over another, we lift all of them up in the name of Christ, and we say everyone is an image bearer because we all bear the image of God. So my lens that I should be looking at is how do I help people not feel like they have to fight for their image in the presence of God, but how I can affirm God's image in every individual. Those who are stuck in poverty and situations, not how do I find their solution through an economic fix but how does my engagement help them see themselves as an image bearer in Jesus' name? What can I do to support that image bearer in Jesus' name? For those who are struggling in, in other areas of life, and whether that's finding work or uh, being able to find their sense of value in the world, overcome addictions, whatever area it might be, my role should always be not to condemn, not to point out their shortcomings, but to help them find hope in Jesus Christ as an image bearer of Almighty God and to lift them up. These issues are controversial in the culture because we're always trying to push one down and lift another up. But within the church, within Christ's body, we have the ability to affirm black lives. We have the, affirm, the ability to affirm white lives. We have the ability to affirm Native Americans and all every individual and when one is struggling, when one has faced ad adversity and hardship, we have no problem stepping in and finding a way to lift them up so that there's not one group that's elevated above another, but that in Christ, we all can be affirmed in our image bearing. And wherever we find oppression and somebody being pushed back as though they're not image bearers, we step in and we say, that's not true. That's not right. All are image bearers in Jesus' name. This is part of what it means to have dominion. This is what it means to rule in God's kingdom is that we recognize our responsibility to multiply the blessings of God, to multiply in his kingdom and not just consume. It means that we affirm God's image in every person and we look for ways to lift up those who have been caught underneath the wheel of the culture, who have been pressed down and oppressed either economically or because of ethnicity, and we lift them up so that together we all bear God's image and we all find hope in Christ. This is where our engagement comes in in the culture. This is a message unique to the church because we recognize who has given us this charge to be responsible. And we recognize whose image we bear and we're responsible to encourage others to find that image as well. 
God bless you as you live it out. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do it as you affirm those whose image that they've been diminished and you affirm God's image in their life. As you affirm your role as being a reproducer, a multiplier of life in this world. God bless you as you do it. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.